Auburn's missing some key offensive players in spring practice. Who are they? And what does it mean? All that on today's Locked On Auburn. Well, Zach, I, I actually just finished crushing some chicken farm, and I am, I am freaking ready to rock and roll. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackbean. Thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen every single day. Joining us as he does every Monday, Lindsey Crosby, writer at AuburnDaily.com and the host of Locked On MLB Prospects. We'll talk about that Auburn baseball game in our final few minutes of the show today. But Lindsey, there's a ton of Auburn players important Auburn players, especially on offense, that are not practicing this spring. I think the most notable on the offensive side of the football news came out Friday. Jarquez Hunter will be missing around two months. Looks like he kind of got his knee cleaned out a little bit. Something just, it was the right time to do it per uh, Brian Harson. But to me, I mean, obviously, you know what you have with Tank Bixby. I think we kind of know what we have with Jarquez Hunter. Obviously, you want him to get better than he was a year ago just because, you know, freshman to sophomore year is a big jump. But I don't think this is the end of the world because there's a chance here that a guy like Jordan Ingram could possibly get more reps because Auburn needs a third running back to kind of step up in this whole process. Yeah, if you have to miss time for rehab and a procedure, definitely make it something where even if there's a setback in that two months, if that if that eight weeks becomes a 10 weeks or a 12 weeks, you're not in danger of impacting fall camp at the start of the season. So I'm absolutely fine with him skipping spring, especially as you said, a guy who has been through it once before. Uh, you know what he is. And, and the place where you do get worried about guys missing time is the chemistry positions. Places sure. like offensive line where it's so predicated on what the guy next to you is doing or wide receiver when you're spending time catching passes from a certain quarterback and unfortunately we have some guys in those boats as well yeah now I think there's the argument to be made and we've talked about this before I think ideally Jarquez Hunter would be in a little bit different of a position role than we saw a year ago but, you know, that's not confirmed. It's just something like, I think Auburn needs to throw to their running backs more. I think that's just kind of a, a philosophy change that needs to happen. But I still think he can get the amount of reps there and fall. And I also think he can kind of get a lot of that mentally done as well as far as what to look at in certain, you know, third down situations or, or whatever uh, it may be. Javaris Johnson, probably Auburn's best wide receiver on roster right now. I don't think a whole lot of people would push back. With me saying that, he's still not practicing. We talked about that last week. That is known. Um, Keandre Jones, probably Auburn's best offensive lineman. Uh, he is not practicing, but good news there. He is expected to be back by A-Day. This one doesn't really bother me a whole lot. He was Auburn's only, he was the only Auburn lineman to start in all games last year. So there's some value there. There's some stability questions. There. I mean, you, you need him on your offensive front. But, you know, as far as just him in a nutshell, you know, I'm not super worried about him missing time. But like you said, the chemistry positions and all this, the folks that are going to be lining up next to him, they're not getting that. And it's not just Keandre Jones, Lindsey. Nick Brahms, as well as Austin Troxel, they're all not practicing right now. And this is an issue to me. This is a big deal, and it's no one's fault. It's no one's fault at all, but... The big storyline outside of the quarterback battle going into spring was, okay, let's fix the offensive line. Can this offensive line take a big step forward? 
and three of your five starters aren't playing. They're not practicing right now. And that's just really, really unfortunate for the Tigers. Yeah, and from what I understand, the, the Nick Brahms issue is actually the same thing that kept him out of the bowl game. Yeah. And so that's a concern as far as usually something like that would have been healed by now. And so you have the questions there. But yeah, it, it's it's we knew we needed to get better on the offensive line. It's part of the reason we brought back all of these experienced linemen for numbers reasons, for you know, for for continuity reasons, and then you don't have them during spring when you're trying to figure out your last two positions. Yeah. Uh, not great. And it's something where there's a there's a good chance that whoever is practicing at quarterback uh behind a certain a certain first team, second team, whatever, may not be the guy in the fall. Mm. And so you're gonna go through spring and you're not going to have seen your starting quarterback behind your starting offensive line with your number two running back to throw the ball to. And yeah. it's you know, and without your number one receiver to th- to throw to. And so it's right. It just it leaves so much uncertainty where you have to be a little bit, I guess, scarred, and you have to think a little bit about like, okay, well, that's not great, and it's just going to be in like it, it's going to be in my mind now, all until game one. Yeah, and you know, obviously, Zach Calzada will be limited for the remainder of spring. There were some questions, you know, maybe he sneaks in towards the end of it. Harson answered some questions about Calzada, said he'd be he'd be out till after spring. So that's. That's a done deal. But, yeah, I think the biggest two questions about this team going into the spring, and it'll be the same biggest two questions going into the fall now, was offensive line and the quarterback battle. And with Calzada being limited, and with three of the five offensive linemen being limited or out, um, you can't you can't address those things. And so, well, they'll obviously work with what they have. And I guess, I guess the, you know, the glass half full way of looking at this is, you know, maybe a backup offensive lineman steps up. Now, I don't know necessarily if there's going to be anybody in this roster that you want, regardless of how good they play, to start over Keandre Jones or Nick Brahms. Maybe Austin Troxel. Maybe if, if you know, both tackles just blow it out of the water, there's a path to playing time there. Um, but, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a guy like uh, Killian Zaire or Brendan Coffey, like... There's there's something there's something there, um, and they're they're putting other guys at tackle as well as like Alec Jackson and stuff. So I mean maybe maybe it kind of gives you the opportunity to look at two different tackles every single rep to see okay who's really catching my eye here when opposed to maybe you'd only be able to put him you know put in one extra tackle because you'd have Troxel on the field. So you know I, maybe there's some value there, Lindsay. I may be reaching just a little bit, but I I think that's kind of the the positive spin on this. Yeah, it's getting those backups and the starters of the future, getting them some time with some of the interior offensive linemen that they're going that they have they may possibly be next to next year and maybe this year because if you have a recurrence of something for a for a Brahms, if you know Keandre Jones has another thing, like you're going to be putting guys in. So Troxel's a big one. I mean, no, I mean it's just he's just been battling injuries since high school. It's just you know real unfortunate, but that that's something to be aware of. Yeah, I mean. If these backups can now compete against the first team defensive line, the first team edge guys instead of the second team edge guys, it's just going to make them better. Yeah, and you're right. so, like, there is a positive to pull from this, but yeah, no, it is a little unsettling that you're just going to have not seen the fully formed offense until you roll it out in week one. And I guess the upside is you don't necessarily have, you have a very nice ramp up in difficulty entering. 
2022 season as far as the skill of the opponents from week to week. Yep. No, I, I think you're right there. I think you're right. As far as, uh, and we'll talk about what happened in Friday Night Scrimmage in a second, but on defense, we know Owen Papo is not practicing. We've, we've known that. And in fact, I think that's a scenario where it kind of benefits you because you know what Owen Papo is. And so you're able to put Cam Riley and Eugene Asante and Wesley Steiner in as much as possible to kind of see more of who those guys are. I think that's kind of actually, a, you know, a, I think that's going to kind of work out there. Uh, Jeffrey Embaugh is not practicing. I know that's a guy that a lot of people have asked in the YouTube comments here. Um, he is not currently practicing. Marquise Burks is limited. He's an older, he's a vet. I'm not concerned about him missing time. It's going to give more reps to Jason Jones, who probably needs it, coming in from Oregon. We'll talk more about him in a minute. And then Zion Puckett, another vet. He's going to know what to do in this defense. He's wearing a yellow non-contact jersey. And so I think it was Hokinson added something where he's like, he could come out of non-contact um, any day now. So he's, he's kind of right on the borderline. So any of those guys stand out to you as far as the missing time, Lindsay, before we talk about Friday night scrimmage? You did nail it as far as Owen Papo being out is kind of a blessing in disguise because that next wave of linebackers, you can make, you can put the three of them on the field at the same time, figure out a pecking mm-hmm. order there. And then obviously you have the cream of the crop from that group to pair with Owen Papo. Right. Um, Jeffrey Embot, the, the only concern I have there is the fact that he hasn't yet been able to practice with this team. Right. And so, you know, interior line, there's not as much to learn as, say, a wide receiver or something. But still, that is one of those, it would be nice to build that chemistry. But um, I he's talented enough where I feel like when he does finally get in there, he's going to pick it up pretty quickly. Um, that's, other than that, I mean relatively okay as mm-hmm. far as depth's concerned. I've seen a lot worse situations during a spring, a spring practice than four defenders out of, you know, that half the roster. So not too worried about it. Yeah. Andres Carlson had that injury towards the end of last season. He was seen Friday um, kicking stationary field goals with a brace on. So I think that's good. I think that's good because that was only a few months ago. And it's crazy he's already kicking again. So um, good news for Andres Carlson. Yeah, we will, uh, we will talk about... Um, you know, that, that's where Auburn is health-wise. But how did they execute at the scrimmage Friday night? We tell you everything you need to know next, right here on Locked On Auburn. But I want to tell you about our friends at Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single-game pickems. They pit the stars against each other. And we are down to the final four, folks. Hate that Auburn's not in it, but those games are still fun to watch. Stat Hero allows you to take control back from the handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. And now you can focus on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. They show you everything beforehand. And you just tell you which one, you you know, Stat Hero, I, I want this team. You can have that team. And if my team scores more than you, you give me my money back plus more, which is so fun to play. And it's live. It, it updates. It's like you're playing, you know, that feeling Sunday after when you're playing fantasy football. You get that every day with Stat Hero. So, Check it out at stathero.com slash locked on. Stathero.com slash locked on. Use the promo code locked on for a 100% match. Stathero.com slash locked on. Promo code locked on. Terms and conditions apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. 
From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Lindsay, let's jump into what happened Friday night at the scrimmage. They uh, First off, they let media in, which is exciting. I mean, it, you've just seen a total pivot with how this coaching staff is handling image and PR, and I think they're knocking it out of the park. I hate that they're doing it because they feel like they have to, um, but, you know, I, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's great for the program. I think it's great for Harson and his coaching staff, and it's great for the players because these players that are performing well are getting are getting some love. All right, so what we saw with the starting offensive line, which is this is patchwork. It will be patchwork for the remainder of the uh, of spring, but offensive line from left to right, Killian Dyer at left tackle, Cam Stutz at left guard, Jaleel Irving at center, Tate Johnson at right guard, and Alec Jackson at right tackle. Zaire will always be a name, Lindsay, that stands out to me. Ever since he is committed, I've really, really liked this guy. I don't know what it is that's keeping him off the field consistently, but I like that he's getting reps at left tackle. He is a a, a big boy. And Correct. it's something where I, I think for him, part of it is just we've, we haven't seen dominant tackle play at Auburn in so long that we, anybody who looks like, who looks physically imposing coming off the bus, we think, okay, maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the next great Auburn lineman sure. to kind of gravitate to him. Um, but what I want to know is, how did he perform on Friday night, Zach? Um, I, I really haven't seen a whole lot about that. I know Tank had a few big runs, which is exciting, so you have to point to that. I mean, it sounds like the media, I wasn't able to go, but it sounds like the media had a really bad vantage point which is a shame, but hey, it's, I, I don't think anybody's complaining. It's definitely better than nothing. So yeah. um, it sounds like the the quarterback play, they were able to get some passes off. I don't know if it's just because they blew things dead or they weren't blowing things dead or, or whatever it may be. Um, but it sounded very physical and something that I loved. Um, it, it sounds like there was a fight around the goal line between the offensive and defensive fronts, which I love. I love, especially on offense. I think on defense, we're mean. I think that's good. Offensive line, some of it's not a talent thing, Lindsay. Some of it, and I've talked about this before, I just don't feel like we're aggressive enough. I just don't feel like our dudes are mean and they'll just like, we'll just hit you for you know the sake of it. I just don't feel like that's kind of what they are. So get in as many fights as possible. Offensive line, I, I think it's great. Even if it's the backups, I think it's fantastic. That's a culture thing where I just think, yeah. um, you know, I get the vibe that Harson will just fight you. And I'm hoping that starts to trickle down. You don't really get that from Gus. But you, yeah. get, you get that from Harson, And I think that's kind of that blue-collar mentality that we need. So th- to me, honestly, Lindsay, that and one other note we'll get to in a second were the, um, were the two biggest takeaways for me. is I-, I love that they got in a fight. I think it's great. Yeah, Gus was very much, a, oh, shucks, that was terrible. And Brian's like, you want to, like, I will drop this clipboard right now. Take the headset He's off. like, you want to go? You. We can go right yeah. now. I was like, we need that. Gosh, our offensive line needs that so much. But yeah, like, it's, it's a... Part of it's the physical talent. Part of it is the technique. And then part of it is just kind of having a mindset of being a nasty dude. Like you you want to impose your will on somebody else. Yeah. And and I feel like for too long, we've kind of relied on guys that were maybe a little bit undersized or a little bit 
like not top tier athleticism guys. Mm-hmm. And we just tried to get by and it feels a, li- a lot more that culture shift of hard work and of we're going to come out here. We're going to outlift you. We're going to outwork you. Or, and then we're just going to hit you in the mouth over and over again until you give up. Yep. Uh, and you absolutely love to see that. Uh, so, so you have to feel good about, you know, tank breaking off some big runs, especially against how good we think this defense is going to be something like this defense is usually ahead of offense at right. this point in a practice and an install. And so you have to assume that is offensive performance um, is what's breaking tanks is what is breaking tank free. So yeah. Good yeah. And, and it sounds like it was a lot of him just making people miss, which is fine. I mean, you take what you can get. Um, Finley ran with the ones exclusively from my understanding, based on what we were able to see. And then he threw a touchdown to John Samuel Shanker, which is on brand. I think that makes sense. And then Ashford was running with the twos. So after D. Davis hit the transfer portal last year, it appears that Ashford is the number two guy in front of Holden Gariner, which I don't think is a huge surprise. And then obviously Zach Calzada was not able to participate in the scrimmage. So I think that's where we are right now as far as pecking order with Calzada just on the sideline. It's Finley one, Ashford two, Gariner three. There was a few, some speculation, you know, could he be impressive enough to kind of ascend higher than that. I don't see that happening, but um, something worth watching. Okay, this is what I love, Lindsay. The fir- the starting defensive line was Colby Wooden, Marcus Harris, Jason Jones, the transfer from Oregon, and then Leota and Hall, which Leota's an absolute unit. He will be on the podcast tomorrow, by the way. Eku Leota will be. But Leota nice. and Hall will be- are on the edges. And to me, that is just so much size. But not only is it just a lot of size, all of these players are extremely, extremely explosive. I love the first step of all these players. Jason Jones probably has the slowest first step of all these guys. But Marcus Harris, and he gained a lot of weight this offseason. But if he could keep that first step that he had last season, this is going to be a violent, a violent defensive front, especially in passing downs. Um. So... That is just the three interior offensive linemen is almost a thousand pounds. Right. I have the roster up right here. Yeah, it's uh that's a lot of man. And so I love the fact that you have just very, very explosive, very quick, very large people. Um, and you have five of them. Mm-hmm. You have I mean obviously outside Leota, you know, Hall, faster guys. Which Leota is an absolute unit. I cannot stress that enough. Just, just so, you know, so much of a unit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and this is, it feels like for the first time in a while, I, I guess maybe since Derek Brown, that, that we, I feel like we have defensive linemen now mm-hmm. that any one of them has a good chance to be better than the guy across from him. Sure. And I know that's a lot to say, and it feels like, you know, like that's probably not going to be true when you play like an Alabama or somebody. But for the most part, it feels like you can pick any of these five men lining up. Um, they all have, you know, single matchups, and it feels like any single one of them could beat their man and make the play. And as a linebacker, I mean, if you're um, Riley, if you're Steiner, if you're any of, the, of those guys, you yeah. have to love playing in front of a thousand pounds of interior linemen and 500 pounds of of outside pass rushers because you now know that you're going to be able to be free to make plays and to hit people incredibly hard. 
Yeah. Uh, and so it's a good omen for Auburn that that is the three guys in the middle. And then you take that and add Jeffrey Emba into that group, into that rotation. Scary. And Marquise Burks, it gives you depth. Um, I mean, the fact that Auburn has multiple guys that can be a force inside as like a either a shade or a zero technique because it seems like Auburn's going to play multiple fronts. And so that's that's exciting. That's really, really enticing, I think, to, uh, to a lot of folks there. So, um, yeah, yeah. And the fact that Jason Jones has come in and start, I would love to know if he would be with the ones if Marquise Burks was not limited. I, I would love to know the answer to that. It's impossible to right now, but that's going to be a battle. That, uh, that I'm going to be looking at moving forward. because I feel like what we've seen from Harson so far, he likes to let the veterans kind of go first. And you look at the the quarterback thing, and it's, well, Ashford and Garner got here at the same time. Ashford's more experienced in college. He's the two. Mm-hmm. Three is Garner. Um, and then from there, they separate themselves and they place themselves. And so you have to assume, and I, ha- I kind of have to assume that uh, Marquise Brooks would probably be the guy initially, and then it's whoever practices better. Yeah. So that that's what sense. I love about this is it's so much a meritocracy. This is now a if you are the best player, you will be on the field. Yeah. It I, is I don't feel like any, we had that beforehand. Yeah. Like it's not like we've had quarterback battles that weren't necessarily like legitimate quarterback battles, according to some people. We've mm. had guys who were like essentially guaranteed starting positions without having to do the work required for that and now right. it feels like we will put every single player every position is up for grabs right except maybe running back that's tanks uh, everybody else yes. is up for grabs yeah no i think you're right i think you're right all right we jump into what was a crazy a bizarre series as auburn took two out of three on the road at college station against texas a&m but first gotta tell you about built bar built bar is the best tasting protein bar on the planet, it seems like more and more of you, whether you guys are commenting on YouTube or talking in the Lockdown Auburn Discord or on Twitter, people, you, you guys are telling me that you're finally checking out Built Bar, and I appreciate it. And also, I think your body appreciates it because I know you feel better after eating one of these things, especially in the afternoon when you're slowing down a little bit for the day and you need a little pick-me-up to get you to dinner. Built Bar is where it's at. And also, the Built Puffs are delicious as well. They're protein, marshmallowy goodness, and uh, they're low in calories, high in protein, low in sugar. What else do you want? Go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off. That is at built.com. All right, Lindsey Crosby. Auburn took two out of three in College Station, and what a weird series this was. This series had everything, man. It was it was wild. And if you remember last Monday's show, I said, you know, ideally you're going to win two out of these three against Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And they did that. Uh, two games go to extras. Auburn wins one of those, loses the other. Uh, and just stuff that I've never seen before. Well, Friday so, and Saturday were like mirrored versions. Like Auburn would jump up, then A&M came back, and, I mean, and vice versa. I mean, they were very mirrored of each other, except Friday night's game had a major controversy to it. Yes. So Auburn has an early 3-1 lead in, in, in game one. A- A&M comes back, takes the lead, and Auburn starts chipping away in the ninth yeah. in the 10th. Now, they have a, two, a, a, a two-run rally in the ninth to tie it up. Um, and at one point in time, infielder Mason Land is a pinch hitter, comes up, um, 
Gets a hit, gets on base, runners on the corners, two outs, continuing the inning. All the momentum in the world. I mean, I mean you just Auburn felt has, it. Auburn has got like four straight hits. Auburn is feeling it. They're in a groove. Yeah. And the umpires huddle up. They hop on the headsets for more than 10 minutes. And they call him out because of an illegal bat. So weird. So, okay. So what this is. Real quick, like, and you can talk to Charlie Five on tomorrow's show more about like the compression of metals and golf club faces. But long story short, they test all the bats the day before the series to ensure that they conform to the specifications. Yeah, that they are round, they are not altered in any way, and they put a sticker on it. The sticker is above the handle, mm-hmm. like above the grip, below the barrel of the bat. Um, Mason Land goes up, gets his hit after he. You know, discards the bat, catcher picks it up, takes it to the umpire, says, hey, it's missing the sticker. Mm. The inspection sticker that shows it was certified. So they go, they hop on the headset with Birmingham, they talk about it, they rule him out. Auburn swears on video review that you can see the bat, I'm sorry, see the sticker on the bat when Mason Land goes up to bat on Friday. Somewhere between there and when it was picked up or when it was given to the umpire by the Texas A&M catcher, the sticker disappears. So there, there's and, two options here, right? It either fell off or somebody took it off, right? Like that's that's the working that's the working theory here. That's the working theory here. Yeah. Now, and the arguments for both, um, obviously the argument for for the Texas A&M catcher taking it off is it has happened to one other opponent of Texas A&M's this season, and that catcher was also the catcher who caught it in that game. Hmm. The argument against that is supposedly those stickers, and I do not have not gotten my hands on one yet, but supposedly those stickers are the, the, the rectangular sticker with the crosshatch where if you try to peel it off, just part of it comes up and not the whole thing. Got it. So I don't, we don't know for sure what happened. There's no good video angles of what happened to the bat after the hit because sure. they're all following the ball and the right. player. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but... Thankfully, Auburn goes on to win this game. Can, I can you only imagine? Think about, can, you can you imagine, imagine if it was a game tying hit and they called him out for the third out? The run doesn't count because oh the bat's illegal. That would be wild. Be terrible. So Auburn wins Friday night. Uh, game two, the exact opposite. Auburn comes out, right. scores four runs in the first two innings. AM chips chips away at it, and it run in the fifth, run in the sixth, run in the seventh, run in the eighth goes to extras in Texas A&M, walks it off in the 11th. Right. Um, so the exact opposite. And then game three, to me, is the big one. And what we saw in game three was every single time A&M scored, the next half inning, Auburn comes out and scores to at least match them, if not take the lead. Right. So 3 nothing, 3-3, three, 3-6, three, three to 6-6, six, six to 7-6, six, to six, and then Auburn takes the lead 8-7, and the seventh inning to me, may we may look back and say that's the turning point of this season. Right. So Auburn has two outs. They get runners on. They're trying to make something happen. And Auburn goes on, scores two runs in the inning. But there was that moment where you're like, okay, if this doesn't work, if he's out, all the momentum is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, Auburn, like, this is just another collapse like you've seen Auburn do so many times. And they rally. Um, hitters are hitting. Pitchers are going out there and just throwing gas, getting dudes out, getting fired up. And Auburn goes on to add on three more in the eighth and win 13-9. to nine. And, uh, again, this may be the turning point of the season. We won't. We don't know that. But if Auburn goes out against LSU this week, Thursday, Friday, uh, 
yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and wins two out of those three, we're going to look back at this game three and say that was it. That was the moment where they came together as a squad, as a unit, and started rampaging through the SEC. Yeah, I mean, it really had that feel Sunday. Where I mean, we're recording, what, 30 minutes after the, the game ended, and it's just like, if, if it would have gone the other way, it would have... I don't. I just feel different moving forward because I mean, this is a team that's going to need some things to go their way, whether guys heal faster from these injuries and we're expecting them to, versus you know, you, you know, maybe you have some guys lean out over their skis a little bit down the stretch, whether it's offensively or defensively or pitching, whatever it may be. It's just kind of the feeling that you get with this team, and you know, I think they're better than what they were projected to finish. I mean, most people had them finishing last in the conference. I think they've proved that they're better than that. But, you know, this is just something, they needed this. They needed this win to say, okay, we're not the worst team in the SEC. Everything that people have said, we went on the road and beat an A&M team that's not great, but they're decent. I mean, they're an SEC baseball team. And so, mm-hmm. you know, now they've got the confidence. If they can go into Baton Rouge and do the same thing, you're playing with house money at that point. Yeah, and the big thing to me was how the team responded to adversity in this game. So yeah. Tommy Sheehan gets the start because Joseph Gonzalez still has that that under fingernail blister he can't seem to get rid of. Which probably isn't um, going away anytime soon. Not anytime soon. Uh, Sheehan gets through one inning, gets knocked out after one. And so, like, okay, you know, three in the first, Auburn ties it up. Right. Three more in the second. They take a, they take a you know, a, a, a jab to the face there come back and do it again. Like offense punched back every time. Uh, you know, obviously the pitcher falters there, the bullpen steps up. And so, and Butch has talked about so much this season about the the mental resilience, like being able to, to not make excuses, to own what you do and to control your own destiny. Go right. out there, make the plays you have to make, um, Take responsibility for the ones you don't, and 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 fight through adversity. And they did that, and yeah. and that's something where I feel I feel a lot better about where this team is now than I did at the start of the series, simply because we've now seen against two, you know, like after the the disastrous weekend last weekend where the defense kind of just fell apart. They've reset. They played great defense all weekend. It wasn't sloppy. Uh, the offense has hit when they needed to. The pitching staff has come through when it needed to. I feel a lot better about this team, and I think we'll know a lot more after you take on Bat, uh, LSU and Baton Rouge. Right, right. Before uh, before we wrap up, Lindsay, Tuesday, um, when most of you people are listening to this on Monday, so tomorrow um, there will be a, a cool piece of hardware um, at Plainsman Park Tuesday when the Tigers take on Jacksonville State. Yes, so out... Um, out past right field, out there by the Performance Center, at that gate, they will have the Atlanta Braves World Series trophy on display. You can take photos with it. Uh, they'll have representatives of of the uh, the organization there, not current players. They're all at spring training. But something that the Braves are doing, they are touring around. Um, they actually, the initial tour schedule did not have Auburn on it. And a bunch of people reached out to the Braves and said, when you expand this, Auburn needs to be on it. And they found a way to make it happen. That's so cool. if, you come, if you come to the game on Tuesday, I believe there are actually discounted tickets available. You can uh, get your photo taken with the World Series uh, Championship. I will catch you out there because I am definitely doing that. As somebody who went to World Series Game 3 along with Zach Blackerby, 
Uh, I am getting my photo taken with my World Series trophy. (laughs) Yeah, we went to game three. It was the first uh, the first ever World Series game in that park. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And it was a win. It was also it was also very cool. It was cold. Uh, (laughs) It was it was and it was raining. But uh, our tickets were under like other seats. It was great. It's fine. It was awesome. It was really like the perfect experience. So it absolutely was. Um, I teared up a little bit. Uh, you did. You actually cried. You actually cried like crazy. It was a little embarrassing, but I was happy for you. So I didn't say anything. So thank you, uh, Lindsay. How can people find you? Hear you? Support you? All of that good stuff, buddy. So I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Uh, my show, Locked On MLB Prospects, is on Twitter at Locked On Farm and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. You can check out the Auburn writing at auburndaily.com and the merch at aushirts.com. It's everywhere, folks. You can follow me on Twitter at Z Blackerby, the show on Twitter at Locked On Auburn, and on Instagram at Auburn Podcast, also on TikTok if you're into that sort of thing. And also, I write for auburndaily.com as well. We'll be back tomorrow for a little Charlie Tuesday action as Auburn message board legend Charlie Five joins us all on Locked On Auburn.